0: Rich service, has it not? Uh, Taking the Lord's Supper and uh, worshiping God in song and uh, just hearing some of the wonderful things that are happening in the life of the church but also that are going to be happening. Excited about the Sunday school class for adults. Also excited for this new women's Bible study. And uh, things just continue to move forward. We've got a very full First part of the year, Uh, please come back on Saturday night for the missions weekend. You will be so blessed to hear from our missionaries. These are missionaries that are known throughout the United States. Many churches are supporting this great work that uh, these two missionaries coming are doing around the world. And uh, we want to know what's happening. We want to know where our money's going and how the Lord is using that for his glory and that's what's happening it's exciting and uh, so please come out Saturday night and then again Sunday morning next week and then we have coming up also a wonderful five year celebration for Bureau Bible fellowship Our desire is to do that at the new property even though it's not going to be ready uh, it'll be we'll just make room and move things aside and have a worship service right there on the grounds. That'll be exciting for all of us. And let me just say this about what God's been doing in that work. It it is a it is a big work to prepare that facility for where God's leading us. But it's not too big. And I'll tell you how I know that because God is the one that led us to this church, to this property. And God has a plan for the future of Viral Bible Fellowship out west of this town and for future growth of our community. And so uh, what's really cool is I remember back in the study of Nehemiah earlier when they were focused on rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, it said at one point that the rubble was so great they couldn't even focus on the work. They were, they were discouraged, because there was so much rubble. How are we ever going to accomplish this? Because God's the one that called them to it. And of course, you know the end of the story. The wall was completed. The rubbish was gone within 52 days. Well, it won't be 52 days. <laughs> but, it, but we'll be there before you know it. If somebody was asking, when do you think we'll be in the building? I think sometime in probably late March. By the way easter is the last sunday of march wouldn't that be something to have an easter service but even before we make a public announcement that uh, the doors are open at the new building for worship we as a congregation will probably start worshiping there a little bit before that so that we can really get familiar with our facility and iron out any kinks and make sure that we're ready to receive people when they come. So I look out and I see the crowd today. It's so good to see you. And yet I think about how many people are not here that are part of our fellowship right now. I don't know if you're aware, but sickness has really taken a lot of people at this time. And so we've got folks who are down today. They're hopefully watching by live stream, and we want to greet those from the congregation and even people who live up north who tune in every Sunday morning to the live stream for the worship of God but uh, let's keep them in prayer I was sitting here on that front pew chair and I was thinking about all that we've already experienced today thinking about this message in Nehemiah and then all of a sudden my thoughts went to Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus taught on prayer and I'm just not convinced in this moment. I, I always want to be sensitive to what the Spirit of God is saying and what I sense. I, I've never heard His voice audibly. That's never happened. But I do study the Word, and I believe God primarily speaks to us by His Word. And, but I have a sense that maybe today we're going to shift our gear from Nehemiah, which I have like eight pages of notes, that I was prepared to share. I'm so excited to share this message. But I think maybe we're going to shift away from Nehemiah this morning and turn to what Jesus has to say to us about prayer. I did not come prepared to do that. I don't have a single note on Matthew 6, but I want you to go ahead and turn there if you will. Let's let the Lord guide us. First, he's got to guide me with what to say, and so I'm trusting him. And then he has to guide you in what he is speaking to you through this text. And I just feel led. I don't know why, but just that prayer, let's spend the time we have remaining in this service, let's spend it on prayer. And uh, I don't think prayer ever done anybody wrong. Uh, nobody's ever said after they've taken time in a busy part of their life, or maybe they're going through a trial, I've never seen anybody come, uh, stop, and just really seek God in that time. And then later come back and say, man, what a waste of time that was. Why did I spend so much time in prayer? Never. I have heard many people say, why didn't I spend more time in prayer? Why didn't I take that burden, that need, That situation that my friend is experiencing or that has come into my home, why didn't I spend more time making prayer the priority? That happens a lot. Maybe some of you are feeling it right now because you know of people who are sick, but have you been truly praying for them? You are going through a crisis in your life, a challenge in your life. Have you been praying in that time? And so let's just go to Matthew 6, and I want to pick it up. Let me just take a swig of water here real quick, because, man, I want to spend the next three hours just delivering this to you. Okay, Uh, verse 5, Matthew 6. He says, and when you pray, now he's speaking about how the Pharisees would make a public spectacle at the temple. When it was time to give, they would show up at the temple and drop into the trumpet. It was called a trumpet. It was mounted on the wall, and it was where you would drop your coins. They would make a very public display about dropping their coins. They would hold them up and drop them so that you could hear these gold coins clinking in the bottom of the trumpet. They wanted people to know just how righteous they were. They were not righteous. They were self-righteous. It was all about them. It was about the, it was self-serving. I want people to think that I'm somebody spiritual. They were not spiritual. They were sanctimonious. And, and so now he comes down and he shifts gears and he says, "And when you pray, verse five, you must be not be like the hypocrites." for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. That's the purpose of their prayers. It's all about what do people think of me? And I want to look good, and I want to look righteous, and I want to look like I've got this special connection with God. So, therefore, They don't pray privately, they only pray publicly, where they can be seen. And they would stand on the street corner and give a long, lofty prayer. But Probably, you know, they're Jewish, so obviously praying in Hebrew, but uh, uh, in our day, what it would look like would be somebody who changes. You ever noticed how some people, wanting to be more spiritual, they actually, when they pray or when they're talking about God, they change their their the way they speak. It changes the way they the, the, the even their dialect is different. These guys would stand on the corner and out loud in front of people say, "Oh my God." you know this sinner and they would go off and talk about all the people standing around that were sinners and I'm nothing like them. I give a tenth of all that I have and I blah blah, blah. and they just make this their prayer. It was it was just it's insidious. The level of sin in their prayer life. In God in heaven's doing this. <coughs> has nothing to do with spirituality, nothing to do with connection with God. Prayer was simply a show. It was a way to put on a show for people. And then it says this, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What's their reward? That people think they're spiritual when they're not. That's the reward. That when they get to heaven and God takes all of our works and puts them into the fire, Only the things that were done with a pure heart will come out the other side of the fire. That means these guys, first of all, they're not going to be in heaven. These hypocrites, they're not truly saved. But there are Christians who do things only to be seen. And when you get to heaven, these mighty prayers that you prayed in front of people, but not having a prayer life with God privately... They'll go into the fire, and guess what? Nothing will come out the other side. It'll be that humble, broken Christian who never cared about praying publicly to be seen, but they, they just never thought of not praying, spending their life in prayer, praying without ceasing, day and night, seeking God, bringing God into every situation of their life those prayers go in and they come out of the fire and they're a great reward to the Lord and to the the person. This is what he's addressing here. He says in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret, nothing that you do in secret is hidden from God, good or bad. But in this case, Jesus is speaking about your private prayers. God sees them. And your Father who sees them in secret, there it is, will reward you. Your prayers have connected with heaven. I love that. Now, when he says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. He's not say- Jesus is not saying that the only prayers that God hears and rewards... Are prayers that are done in private. If that were the case, then all the prayers that were prayed publicly by God's people, by the leaders, uh, were, were for naught. And that's not true. It's just that Jesus is addressing how the Pharisees, how the hypocrites would make a big deal out of a public prayer. So therefore, with that in mind, pray privately. Make sure that you're not just praying in public. Make sure there's private prayer occurring. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard, <laughs> excuse me, for their many words. Have you ever heard someone pray every time they pray? It's a long prayer. I mean, we're at the dinner table. We're going to have dinner. And, and you ask them to pray, and man, the food is going to be cold by the time they finish their prayer. Just because your prayer is long doesn't mean it's spiritual, In fact, it probably, if it's long, it's probably leaning towards fleshly. It's you making a scene. Not to say that all long prayers are bad. There are some prayers that are pretty long in Scripture, and they're not bad. But check your heart. And he's saying, don't think that because you pray long prayers, God now hears the prayer, that that's the key that unlocks the door to God. No, no. God has no concern about the length of prayer. That's not the issue. Yes, Jesus said to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane the night of his betrayal, could you not tarry with me in prayer for one hour? That was not a magical thing that one hour is what God looks for in our prayer life. Jesus was just saying, I've spent time praying and you've fallen asleep. Can't you tarry with me? okay do not be like them verse 8 for your father knows what you need before you ask him what does that tell us first and foremost it's about god here god knows everything he's omniscient all knowing he has foreknowledge he knows Before it happens, listen to this. The Scripture teaches that God knows the end before the beginning. God, from the foundation of the world, knew who would be saved. Before the world existed, God knew you. God knew who would be saved? This this speaks of the magnitude, the honor, the mag- the majesty of our God. He is so awesome that we should never use the word awesome for anything else. And I I, I have a habit of that. Somebody experiences something, and I'm like, awesome. Only God is awesome, awesome meaning awe, meaning fearful, reverent. People say, well, this is reverend Greg Simstrott. Reverend? Revere? Uh Uh-uh. I'm not holy like God. I'm not awesome. Only God deserves that. That's why the Scripture says don't call anybody else father. You have one Father, and your Father's in heaven, and He knows everything. So even before you ask in prayer, God already knows what you're going to be asking. In fact, the truth is, the greatest, you might want to write this down, and then you go home and you take like the Bereans, the Word of God, and you challenge what I'm going to say by the Word of God. Test the Spirit here, okay? Here's what I believe biblically. I believe that the greatest prayers that we can pray are when we're so aligned with God that we pray His prayers. The reason I say that is because the Lord isn't interested in how I think the world should run. He's not interested in what I want Him to do to this person over here who wronged me or this person over here who really needs God's touch. God already knows what the world needs. God already knows how I should pray for the person that wronged me. He already knows how I should pray for the person who's hurting. I don't need to inform him. I don't need to bring God up to speed. I don't need to say, Lord, you know... um, it's been a busy week, and I need to just kind of help you understand what I've been going through. And I don't know if you're aware of sister such and such, but man, she's really been going through it. And Lord, I'm asking you to do this. This is why, Lord, she needs, this is her, if you'll just sit tight for a second, Lord, let me bring you up to speed on her life, what's going on. But that's how we pray. We pray. We think somehow we've got to help God understand so that God will then agree with our prayer. Not us agree with him, him agree with us. Do you see the pride and the self-serving in those kinds of prayers? No, it's when you align with him according to his word, you come into obedience with the word. Then the scripture says, ask whatever you want. And here's why the scripture says that, because if you're in obedience with his word, you're not going to ask stupid things. You're going to ask what God wants. It's going to ultimately be God's prayer. And so here we see this, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. Okay, if that's the case, then Lord, bring me into understanding that in my prayer now, I will pray how you want me to pray for them, rather than how I want you to bless them. You see the difference? Okay, so now Jesus says, so when you pray, now who's he speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples, his followers. And he says, and pray like this, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. I'm using the ESV. I know King James would say it differently in other Bibles, NIV and whatever. We, we, we typically use the ESV on a weekly basis because it's a good word-for-word translation. Our Father in heaven. So what did Jesus just say in that? First of all, he says you have a Father, not fathers. You have a heavenly Father. He's in heaven. Where is heaven? I don't know, but it's up. When Jesus left, it says he went up, right? He didn't go down. He went up when he ascended. He ascended. Where? To heaven. To the right hand of the Father. So heaven's up, and I should pray, and the way I should begin my prayer is with my Father in heaven. I need to focus on my Father. I need to focus on the good work that my Father is doing, has done. It's good to go back to the Old Testament, to the Psalms, and to uh, the, the Chronicles, and other places where God has moved mightily in the lives of people. And, and, and start calling those things out in my prayer life. Father, thank, thank you for your word that shows me that you care for us even when we drift. You still love us. Your grace is still available to me according to Galatians. And Call it out. I mean, let your prayer life reveal how much you know about your Father and that your Father is the centerpiece of your prayer life. You don't begin prayer with a shopping list of needs. You begin prayer with worship of God. That's what prayer is. Prayer is the act of worshiping God. So Jesus starts with our Father. And then he says, hallowed be your name. You're to be worshipped. You're awesome. You're nothing like us. You are hallowed. It really does bother me. Somebody asked me this week. They, we were talking and oh, we were in my truck. And, and somebody had borrowed my truck. And when I got in, I fired it up. They sat in the seat. And it was, it was on a Christian FM station. And I immediately turned, uh, and I turned it. I put it on some Panera, Panera, Pandora. <laughs> it's not lunchtime yet, right? I, I turned it to, to Pandora, and I put on some good Sovereign Grace worship music or the Gettys worship. I, and they said, why would you do that? What, what, what's wrong with the Christian music? And I said, I don't want to hear these Jesus is my boyfriend songs. I'm sorry, I'm not into that sappy junk. Jesus is God, first and foremost, more than he is my friend. He is my friend. I'm thankful for that. I'm glad that I can have a relationship with Jesus, but I never want to forget who Jesus is. He's not like me. He is God. He's not coming back looking like the Jesus that left the earth before his resurrection. He's coming back glorified, eyes like fire, hair white like wool, a voice like the rushing of water, like a Niagara waterfall. That's what his voice is going to sound like. He is God coming back for me. And so, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. It doesn't mean you can't, you know, Scripture, Jesus even said, call out Abba, Father. There's moments where we need to know the intimacy of God in that relationship. And so it's okay. He's my daddy. But never at the expense of his holiness. And Jesus made that very clear. Hallowed be our name. The next part of this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. There it is right there. In my prayer life, God's not interested in me telling him what my will is and for him to join me in it. What God is interested in is for me understanding that he already has a will to be done on earth. That's why Jesus said, "Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done where? On earth, as it already is in heaven." In heaven, God's perfect will, God's perfect mandate is being lived out in heaven right now. There is no rebellion, there is no other option. It's totally, purely God's will, God's plan, God's purposes being served in heaven. And he wants to bring that down here through those who hold his spirit, the Holy Spirit is in us. And so that's my prayer. My prayer is your kingdom come. So in my prayer life, my prayer life is first to bring glory to God, worship him, go to some of the scriptures and the Psalms, see what it says about God, go to Jeremiah, go to Isaiah, some of the wonderful uh, messages that God gave to these prophets about who he is, focus on that, and then thy kingdom come, thy Lord now, now that I have a picture of you, rather than starting off with my big problem, I get a picture of a bigger God, and now my problem's not so big. And now, rather than me telling you what I need you to do with my problem, now, Lord, let your kingdom come into my life. Let your will be done in this area that I'm struggling. What is it that you want me to do? How should I respond? You say, well, God's never spoken to me to tell me that. Yes, he has. You got to get into the book. Then you'll know everything that pertains to life and godliness, how to live a life that is right before God. You get into the Word of God. So now, all of a sudden, I'm finding God's will, and I'm finding God's way through His Word. Listen, call yourself a Christian all day long and all night, but if you're not obeying the Word of God in an area of your life, there's an issue When the Spirit of God comes into us, he convicts us, just like the world, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit's continually reminding me of things in my life where he's working. Does he not do that to you? Why? Because it says in Romans 8 that his, his desire is that I be conformed to the image of Jesus. So every day he's working on me to look a little bit more like Jesus. And there's plenty for him to work on in me. But, my, my, but listen, the, the, the reality is, as he's working in me, I'm transforming. I'm changing by the Spirit. None of it is my work. It's all his work. Even the power to change is his work. Amen? It's all him. But in my prayer life, now I'm lining up. I'm transforming. I'm conforming to who Jesus is in my prayers. Lord, how should I pray for this? And the Lord shows me in his word, and I'm like, amen, amen. Now I know when I leave my prayer life, I know as I walk out, I have a confidence of how to live, how to respond, how to react to whatever it is I brought to the Lord in prayer, because I'm going to do it God's way, not my way. Amen? So God has a plan. He wants to bring it to earth through you, and generally it's talking about how you live how you relate to others, let God's plan be done. And then he changes, shifts gears, and he says, now, give us this day our daily bread. There's your needs, asking for your daily needs. Give us this day. Did the Lord just say, Lord, in my lifetime, what I hope you'll do is allow me to own three homes. I really want to have a big bank account, and Lord, I want five cars, and Lord, uh, I want to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous and... Is that what He said? I don't think He said that. In fact, I'm having a hard time finding anything about wealth and health and happiness in this prayer that Jesus taught His disciples to pray. He said, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is saying the way you should pray in terms of needs is for God to just provide on a daily basis what you need. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't save money. You can't make wise decisions that will lead down the road to a blessing. There's nothing wrong with that, as long as that's not the focus of your existence. The focus of your existence is doing the will of God. That's what Jesus just prayed a moment ago. Now, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Hmm. It's interesting how he phrased that, how he connected the dots there. He didn't start out with, forgive our debtors. He started with, forgive me of my debt. Forgive me of my sin. He's looking for us in prayer to offer up confession. When was the last time your prayer truly brought confession to the forefront where you stayed there because the Spirit of God had you there to recognize your sinfulness? Where I wanted to go today, but just felt led to go this direction, we will come back to this Nehemiah teaching Last week, we looked at abiding in Christ and that for a disciple of Jesus, the goal is that we would bear fruit. Today, I wanted to focus on what does it look like to get to a place where we abide? Because it's not a switch you turn on and off. Okay, I should abide. I should reside in Jesus, spend more time with Jesus. Click, I'll do it. No, 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 no. It starts with a change in you it starts with transformation it starts with repentance you've got to repent of your sin you can't just click the switch and become this person who now abides in jesus you first need to address the sin in your life and i really want to get to that a message very very quickly here will be probably another week or so before we can get to it but we will This is one of the missing ingredients in so many Christians' lives. We're quick to recognize and praise God. We're quick to, you know, ask for God's will to be done on the earth. And, but we always look outward in those requests. Give us this day. We never seem to get to a point where our prayer life turns inward and we see what God sees. I want to tell you that there is no greater place for a Christian to be than in a state or a condition of repentance. If you look at the prodigal son, I think it's Luke chapter 15 or 16 you see a boy who's full of himself a teenager full of himself that's not uncommon right you were a teenager once when you were a little child anything your mom and dad did you you just accepted it and you went along with it and you they provided for you and then you started getting a little bit heady Up in your head, well, I would do it differently and this and that. And all of a sudden now you're in a state of rebellion against parent. What do they know? Good grief, man. You know what kind of music my parents like? What do they know? They don't even know what TikTok is. (laughs) They think it's a clock on the wall. And you get full of yourself. And you rebel. And for many of us, that rebellion was not just to our parents. It was also to God. We went another direction. That's what the boy did in that story. His father had a wonderful farm. He had land. He had money. He had two sons who worked the land. And the younger of the two decided, my dad doesn't really get it. Life, there's got to be more to life than working the farm. And my dad just doesn't understand that, and he's missing out on so much. I'm not going to let my life go by and be like him. I can promise you that. And so he, he told his dad, I'd like to have my inheritance now. You normally wait until the father's gone or the blessing of that inheritance before he dies. He gives it to you. This boy demanded it and the father went along i can't tell you the number of times in scripture where god hands over to us what we want even when it's the worst thing for us he if you want it go for it and that's what the father did and the boy left And the Father did not chase after him. When you leave the Father, the Father lets you go. Go sow your oats. Go do your thing. I'm dealing with different men uh, who are in addiction. I have for years. The Lord just seems to open doors for me to minister to people in this light. And I, I know that many of them have a desire to come back. But the addiction is so strong, and they keep giving in to the addiction, and, and then the addiction kills them. I can remember back pastoring down in South Florida, and a 17-year-old boy in our church got hooked on OxyContin, and, and it took his life. I remember going to the home, and him laying there on his bed, gone because of that addiction i've seen it over and over and over again and god allows that <laughs> if you want to bow up and do your, do life your way god will allow you but now you he's 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 pulled back here's what he pulls back restraining grace there is a grace of God for those who desire to follow him who have a heart that is bent towards God. There's a restraining grace in your life where God provides, protects, covers you. He puts you in a grace bubble if it will be if you could call it that where he is protecting you. I know Uh, people in our church right here. I heard from one of our gentlemen in our church, not just recently, who struggled with alcohol and has not had a drink in years. God's restraining grace at work. But if you rebel like this boy, guess what? God stays back. And he releases you from the restraining grace. Go ahead. Do it your way. This boy goes off. Sows his oats, runs out of the inheritance money that he had, which would have taken a lot of partying and a lot of friends to help you spend that money. And when the money was gone, the friends were gone too. And he finds himself working for a farmer somewhere, throwing slop to the pigs. And as he's looking in the bucket at the slop, he's thinking, This is all I have to eat. I'm no better than that muddy, stinky pig. And it says in the text, he came to his senses. He started by the Holy Spirit of God to think differently about his life. If you're that rebellious teenager who went off on your own and you've been gone now for 10 years, 20, 30, 40 years... Drifting on your own, doing life your way. But then all of a sudden, you come to your senses. Because the Holy Spirit of God, the hound of heaven, has never stopped coming after you. And now all of a sudden, you see your sin the way your heavenly Father sees your sin. And you see your heavenly Father differently than the way you've acted the last 30 years. And now all of a sudden, you want to come home. And that boy began to think. Right there in the pig pen, it says that he began to think, you know, my the servants that work for my dad back home, they eat a lot better than this. And then he thinks, I've really messed up what I've done. My father, there's no way he can forgive me of this. But maybe if I go home and I just ask him if I can... Live with the servants and get a servant's portion of food. It would be so much better than this. That would be a life I could live. Look at the transformation from thinking my dad knows nothing and I'm going to go live life to the fullest for myself and then all of a sudden coming to a point where he actually says, hmm, I was a fool, what an idiot, to think that I know better than God. And that's who that father represents in that story. And so he turns and heads home, and you know the story, the father was sitting there looking for the boy. He didn't go after him. He let him sow his oats, but he was ready to receive him when he came home. When that boy came over that last hill, the father could see him off in a distance, and the father ran to him. Now, this is a boy who doesn't think that his dad will forgive him. He's going to try to appeal on the, on, the, on the idea that if I can just be treated like a servant in your far, on your farm, That's all I'm asking. And that father comes running out to that boy. And he greets him. He hugs him. He kisses him. The boy says, Dad, uh uh-uh, I've made a mess. I'm so sorry what I've done. If you could just let me be a servant, like a servant. That's all I request of you. And the father just ignored what he said. Didn't even respond to it. You know what the father said? uh Give my son some shoes. Put some sandals on his feet. Put a ring on his finger. Cover him with a coat. Tonight, we're going to kill the fattened calf. And we're going to throw a party for one reason. Because my lost son has been found. He's come home. In your prayer life... Forgive, forgive us our debts. Don't leave confession out of your prayer. You need it. And here's the good news: you don't have to corner God in your prayer life to forgive you. Well, Lord, I know that you know what I've done is so bad. I can't imagine you even wanting to forgive me. But Lord, and you try to talk Him into it. No, you don't have to do that. In fact, the Scripture says this in 1 John one nine: if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You just confess, He will forgive. That's how ready God is to forgive you, to bring you back into the fold. Maybe that's you this morning, and you've drifted, you've wandered, you know better. You were raised different than the way you've been living in your life. And God is saying to you right now, I'm coming after you. I'm trying to woo you. I'm trying to convict you of your sin. I want you to come home. Don't resist it. No man can come to the Father except the Spirit draw him. You can't say, well, when when I get my life right, then I'll come back. You can't get your life right. That's why Jesus died for you. You just need to confess that you're not right. And that you can't fix it. And immediately, if that confession is made to your father by the Holy Spirit, he will forgive you. And now, there's sweet fellowship again. So forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's not just forgiving, asking God for forgiveness, but it's asking those in our life that we've hurt or that have hurt us. Forgiveness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, guide my steps. I love First Corinthians 10 13. No, no temptation has ever come to a person that isn't already very common to everybody else. Your temptations that you've given into, or the temptations that you receive, they're common. And then it says this and God is. Faithful. Faithful to do what when I'm tempted? To give you a way of escape. You don't have to give in to the temptation. I'll never forget in college one night. It was late in the evening, and I was I had been away from the Lord from the time I arrived at that school. I went to a thousand miles from home so I could sow my oats. I was a prodigal son boy. By the way, it ended with me being a bartender in a restaurant. And anything and everything, I was experimenting. And I remember one night, I was about to go into a situation that was extremely sinful. And I went back up to my dorm room. This is a Christian college, by the way. I went back up to my dorm room to get something to leave and go. And uh, when I got up to the top of the stairs... One of my buddies on my floor yelled out, Sip, your dad's on the phone. And so I went down to the phone, hey, dad. And we talked. He just wanted to say hi. My mom wanted to say hi. When I got off the phone, uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> I don't want to go out and do what I was going to do, I don't want to rebel. That was God. That was the restraining grace of God wanting to draw me back. And it did. That and many other things, God brought me back to where I was able to commit my life to Christ. Went from a business administration degree to ministry. Had no clue how to be a pastor. God just did all of that. See, all he needs from you is to confess. And then he takes your life and he just blows it up into what he wants rather than what you want. You'll never regret, I've never heard a Christian say that he was sorry he was a Christian. But I have met a lot of sorry Christians. If you truly give your heart to Christ, that's how they will know that you are his disciple. In fact, take your Bible and turn to John. Chapter 15, let's just close with this verse. John 15, we're going to pick it up at verse 8. John 15, 8. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he says in John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified. Okay, what is it that glorifies the Father? That you bear much fruit, and the fruit is not your works, it's the Holy Spirit working through you, the fruit of the Spirit, right? But then he says something else. And so prove to be my disciples. The way that we know that we are his disciples is that we have confessed our sin, and now our life belongs to Christ, and we bring fruit to his glory. Amen? That's what God has in store for you if you'll turn and repent. That's why this prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples was so powerful and so important. When you pray, you start with worship. You don't start with your laundry list of needs. And then when you finally get down to the needs, you're going to find out the needs aren't nearly as big as you thought they were. And God already has a plan because his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, all of a sudden, you are stronger than you've ever been before. You're ready to go out and take face the next issue that you have because you are a child of God. And by that, you'll do His works, the fruit of the Holy Spirit flowing through you towards other people and towards the Lord. I want to pray, and I want you to pray. And if you're here this morning, and this teaching from Jesus' words is touching your heart. It's not because of me. It's because of the Holy Spirit who's working in you right now. Right now, he's working. And all you have to do is confess that you're a sinner. Put your hands up. I don't mean physically, but that's what you're doing spiritually. I'm putting up my hands. I'm saying the Holy Spirit has apprehended me today. I'm going to let him take me No longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Why? Because Paul threw his hands up and said, I surrender. That's all God's asking you to do. By grace, through faith, you're saved. All you can do is surrender so that God's work can be done through you. Father, right now, move in hearts in this room We put on a good front when we come to church and people don't really know what's going on in our life. But you see everything in secret. And your Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts in this room right now. Father, do your work. Do your work. Convict us of sin. Convict us of the false righteousness that we've been hiding behind the sanctimonious spirit that is in us. Holy Spirit, do your work. Father, forgive us as we confess our sins. Forgive us. Thank you that that's a promise in your word, that we might be different and holy as you are holy, covered in the righteousness of Christ. Empowered by the Holy Spirit who comes upon us to bear fruit in this world. Let this be the heartbeat of Viral Bible Fellowship. Let it begin with us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite our altar workers and our elders to come and stand and please stand in front of the platform, not off to the side, but in, come across, give yourself space between you and we want to give people opportunity to respond and come and receive ministry from those who are here to help you. So as we close out this service, the ministry is not ending it continues. For some of you, it's coming forward. For others of you, it's going to people in this room, and maybe it's reconciliation. Maybe it's knowing the burden that that person's carrying and praying with them. Maybe it's just loving and fellowshipping with one another. Let's let the Lord continue to minister uh, before you leave. Let, Let God do His work. Amen? God bless each of you. Thank you for being here today. Come back this Saturday for the special missions night and next Sunday.